Hey gang, this is Adam with a quick message before today's show. Ben's out of the country for a few more weeks, uh, but I'm going to edit in some of his best dialogue from today's episode to make it sound like he's here with the both of us. Yeah. This episode, like the next few weeks worth of episodes, was recorded a while back, but it's important that before we give you our first show after the Max Fun Drive, uh, I really wanted to say thank you from the both of us. Yeah. At last count, we have 2,001 new and upgrading members that have supported the show during Max Fun Drive. Chief of the watch, float the buoy. And uh, the way that you all stepped up to support us during a really crucial time for the show has been really amazing and incredible. Yeah. The Greatest Generation is one of the newer shows on the Max Fun Network, and uh, that network is a network of shows that are wholly supported by listener donations. Yeah. It's not a place with a big office and a ton of staff, so your support not only helps us directly, but it helps some great people whose job it is to keep us going as well. Yeah. So the 12 days of Pledge Drive were really critical in a couple of important ways. One, it told Ben and I that this is a sustainable project, and that this is a sustainable life and to keep doing it. And that means a lot when it's late on Sunday night and an edit is messed up on Monday's episode and we've got to rush an update to that, for example. Yeah. And two, your support told the network that we are uh, viable and valuable enough to keep around. And that's big too, because they support us in a lot of ways that you wouldn't know unless you were on one of these mics with us. Yeah. So just to wrap all this up, our biggest thanks to you for the support you've shown us uh, both before and during Max Fun Drive. Yeah. Thanks for buying t-shirts and glasses. Thanks for designing those shirts and glasses. Yeah. Uh, we are really looking forward to doing the Crimson Tide show uh, as soon as Ben gets back into the country. Yeah. And uh, we're also looking forward to getting out on tour and meeting as many of you as possible. So uh, with that all being said, thank you. Thank you, thank you once again, and here's today's episode. Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to The Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by two guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Adam Pranica. I am the other one, Benjamin R. Harrison. We basically talk about an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. I interrupt Ben like <laughs> nine times out of ten, and we tag each other's jokes until there's absolutely no meat left on the bone. That's a pretty good description of what we came here to do today, Adam. Yeah. Um, I wanted to say a note. Um, we are recording this before the Max Fun Drive even starts, but... I think our viewers are really going to come through, and so I just wanted to take a moment to say thanks to everybody who got involved, who boosted the signal, who uh, who pledged, who upgraded, uh, anybody that was already pledging, big thanks, and uh, just uh, just a big thanks all around. You know, maybe maybe we beat that ten thousand new and upgrading number by a mile. Maybe we whiffed and stumbled, <laughs> but... Maybe uh, we're no longer on the Maximum Fun Network as a result. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? But, uh, but thank you. Uh, it really means a lot to us. Um, we feel uh, astonishment and gratitude at the support that this show has gotten from people. So, uh, big thumbs up. Yeah, I mean, the shows during Pledge Drive were a little different because they were full of Pledge Drive uh, bumpers and stuff, and uh, now that we're back to regularly scheduled programming, I also just want to thank people for for putting up with that, you know? Like, yeah. we've, it's, it's important for us to do the Pledge Drive and to participate in it as fully as possible, so for all of you who went through it with us, thanks. Yeah. Adam, I have a package here. Should I open it? What's the alternative, Ben? You're just going to leave it by the door? <laughs> well, I could open you, it on the next episode. You got to open it. Okay. That's what I say. Captain, I'm sorry to disturb you. I'm receiving a code 47. Verify. It is code 47, sir. Start lead emergency frequency. Captain's eyes This, I think, is the one from Scotland. Um, the only... Uh, 
The only way I can tell that it might be is that it says something about Royal Mail on it, so I'm pretty excited about this one. Got a white envelope that is fairly lumpy. White envelopes usually contain summons, Finn. I'd be careful. <laughs> if I had to appear before some court in Scotland, I'd be in big trouble. Yeah. All right. Let's see what we've got here. The enclosed letter. Should I do it in a... Dear Adam and Ben, hello from Edinburgh. A little while ago, I... <laughs> uh, I emailed you guys about how my good buddy Brit moved from Edinburgh back to the States and TNG and Greatest Gen kept us laughing despite our impending separation. Brit's wife Heather and my partner Dave sure had to listen to a real load of garbage from us. <laughs> well, now Brit and Heather are all settled in San Diego, before, but before Christmas they still thought to send me my very own Star Trek cards. Having gleefully ravaged them all... All open, my pile of spares was looking like Jim Shimoda's disorganized pile of isolator chips. Me and Britt decided that the only other people who could appreciate them as much as us are you two. There are quite a lot, but not a full deck, so sorry about that. I took the liberty of placing on top of the deck the isolator chip card for obvious reasons. <laughs> Underneath that is my favorite card, Captain Picard's fish, who is apparently called Livingston. I'd take a look at the pink-colored technical data cards, too, because they are mostly poorly rendered pictures of totally random junk. <laughs> Thanks for making this awesome show and enjoy the cards. Your fair viewers, Alice in Edinburgh and Brit in San Diego. I can't think of another TV show that could do what this show does with, <laughs> like, prop cards. You know, and getting as granular as they do with that series of cards. Yeah, the the fact that a an isolinear chip, a nonsense prop that has no known actual function, gets gets a card. Man, there's a uh, there's one about uh, shuttlecraft and their classifications, and it's got everything from flat pack all the way up to Previa. Turns out there's five different shuttles. I don't believe that for a second. <laughs> we've only seen three of them, right? Seems like we've only seen three, yeah. Well, just a few more seasons left to reveal the rest of the line. Yeah. Alice, thank you so much for sending this pile of cards in. I now have an embarrassingly huge number of Starshot cards. Wow, well, that's really sweet, Ben. I'm going to have to send you half of these. I don't, like... This is grounds for annulment of my marriage if my wife ever found this. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll, I'll give you my address later or, or something. <laughs> Should we get to the episode that we came here to talk about today? Yeah, we might as well, Ben. Let's go ahead and discuss Season 5, Episode 25, The Inner Light. This is becoming a speech. You're the captain, sir. You're entitled. Hmm. I'm entitled to ramble on about something everyone knows. The entrepreneur has been uh, doing a magnetic wave survey of the Parvenium system. Is the Parvenium the space between your lip and your nose? I think it's in between your balls and your butthole, Adam. Oh. There are some creams that you only use on one of those, and you do not want to get the creams confused. No. <laughs> that would be bad. Uh, Trust me. <laughs> you do not want cream confusion on those two areas. No, no, no. Um, so the entrepreneur finds a weird probe. Uh, it's got kind of a fun, like, offset fin design. It sort of looks like that S that people draw in, uh, in, in elementary school. school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They draw all the dots on the paper and then they connect the yeah. lines. Yeah. Um, man, the lobbying firm that that S retains is, is really powerful. <laughs> they have a stranglehold on middle school art projects. They really do. So like most unknown probes that Starfleet encounters... Uh, this one is a mind takeover probe. <laughs> I can think of two other instances where unknown probes get into people's heads on this series. 
alone. They didn't exactly do anything wrong here either. I mean, they noticed something was up with the probe. It was building up some energy. They threw up their shields. What more could they have done? It's it's weird because they're also commenting about how it seems pretty primitive. Not a very sophisticated technology. Right. It's not a level of tech that is beyond them where they have no hope of repelling whatever influence it throws at them. I mean, like the Barkley episode where Barkley gets super smart, that's that's a probe that there's no way they're ever going to out outsmart, right? Yeah, yeah. This one is like uh, you know, Apollo era technology and it and it shoots a ray and the captain goes down. Increase speed to Captain. Picard is action jacketed up and he just falls into a heap into Riker's arms. Captain, I've got you. Riker sort of catches him by the back of the neck and then and then places him on the ground. Yeah, I really liked Picard's performance with this. He's kinda like punch drunk looking. Yeah. Do you think it chose him because he was the only one looking at it at the, at that exact moment? Yeah, I don't know. I mean... Because you only see that shot from behind Picard's head. It's hard to tell if anyone else is looking directly at it. Right. I mean, there's like a helmsman that was probably looking at it, right? Yeah. How... <laughs> How great of an episode would this have been if it were just a random helmsman? <laughs> I mean, that's a that's a choice that this show is not afraid of making every yeah. so often. Like, hey, let's give the episode to a seven-year-old girl. Why not? Yeah, yeah like if Ro's on duty, <laughs> Ro goes to, uh, goes to the planet Catan. <laughs> well... Picard wakes up and there is a soccer mom there. How are you feeling? And she's like, well, you've had a fever. Cayman? So obviously you're a little disoriented. Can you answer me? And he's like, well, where am I? Where's my, where's my communicator badge? What's going on? What is this place? And he's, and he's dumbfounded. He thinks, he thinks he's supposed to be on the entrepreneur. And in fact, he is on this planet that, uh, you know, he's being told by this woman that she's his wife he appears to be in like albuquerque <laughs> yeah. yeah like uh definitely like desert southwest mm-hmm. yeah maybe santa fe although i guess yeah. the the stucco would be like red if they were in santa fe yeah that's true maybe they're ignoring the uh neighborhood association they're 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 painting their house white in defiance of the of the council's rules right Whatever it is, it's a very suburban place. Yeah. Yeah, and Picard is not freaking out. Everyone's treating him like he's he's got this he's had this high grade fever for a week. The people around Picard are just sort of they're handling him with care. Yeah. I mean, Picard is saying crazy shit right. about a ship and another life, and everyone's just sort of like, Okay, grandpa, like uh why don't you take a nap and have some soup? Well, they didn't move to this artist colony in the Southwest to, like, put a lot of judgment on other people's experience of reality, man. Right. I mean, like, you you take one look at Picard and his deep V and his Tom's shoes, you know that this is a pretty chill place. Yeah. Like, there, there's, some, uh, there's some nice chill people. They uh, maybe retired down here to paint paintings that are vaguely vaginal and... Mm. Uh, and hang out and do art, you know? They earned it, Adam. Yeah, it's true. We find out that Picard's wife figure in this scene is named Eileen. And besides her soccer mom haircut, like, she's really great. Yeah, she's a nice you lady. Can't, you can't help but like her immediately. There's some weird tech in this world, right? Because it's sort of like future yeah. past tech. They have swooshy doors with... Uh, remote lock panels on the door frame. Yeah. They've got futuristic looking rice cookers. That was like a Klingon saucier. Yeah. But the walls are, are sort of stucco-y. There's an interesting combination of a future and past. Right. A little un- like it's it's it looks like they've kind of they've kind of developed in a way that is slightly dissimilar to us, where they've they've leapt ahead in certain fields like pot handle technology. But uh, 
maybe lag behind in their architectural capabilities. Right. So yeah, she gives him the same soup that he's given on every planet that he goes to, and uh, it's delicious. But uh, Picard usually hates soup too, so that was a surprise to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's she's finally mastered the recipe, Adam. Better than that garbage he had on Romulus. Yeah. He like takes a walk around the uh, neighborhood, and they're like planting a tree in the classic uh, Star Trek town square that is way too small to really be a town square. <laughs> um, and uh, and there's some talk of a drought that's being uh, done by uh, Richard Real. I was having some trouble with the shifter here. It's jam. He is really great and such a welcome character actor in this moment because you can't help but befriend him the way that Picard does. Yeah. He's got such a friendly carriage about him. I have people skills. That I think you need to cast a guy like that. I was a little uh, disoriented to see that guy without a like a push broom mustache because I feel like that's yeah. pretty much always his look. That is the worst idea I've ever heard in my life, Tom. Yes. Yes, it's horrible. Everyone's telling Picard that he is actually Kameen and he's an iron weaver and that he has a great wife that he's already met and that he's lived here forever. And Picard is sort of beginning to do that Sammy Jankus thing from Memento. Like, <laughs> he, he believes his truth about living on the Enterprise at this point, but he's suppressing that a little bit and sort of going with the flow so as not to uh, make people suspicious. You fake it. If you think you're supposed to recognize somebody, you just pretend to. You bluff it. Like, I totally see what he's trying to do. He's trying not to act too crazy. Right. And... and and trying to solve this mystery for himself. Yeah, he's he's trying to slow play his feeling of detachment from reality. And uh and that's like a pretty sensible thing. I mean, Picard has been in enough situations where what he knows to be true is denied by everybody around him that I feel like he actually has some like tools to to use in this scenario. Yeah, uh, two of which happen to be his arms. He is fucking J.L. Pipes this episode. Did you notice that? Yeah, he looks good. Yeah. Good job, Beef Stew. Every every time they were like, all right, we're uh, uh, everybody ready to roll roll camera? And he's like, just one second, and like dropped and gave him 20 push-ups just to like get the blood yeah. flowing in the arms. Yeah, looking Maybe good. Put on a little like Dwayne The Rock Johnson arm butter. Well, it's important that he's ripped in the arms because, unfortunately, throughout the episode, they put him through the seven stages of Larry David hair, <laughs> which get progressively more frizzled. Yeah, it, it is. It's kind of a planet of Larry David's and muscle shirts. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> like, like That's a weird combination. Yeah, yeah. It's a... Uh, Incongruous, and yet they build a totally plausible universe some somehow. So, um, I guess he's like eating the the soup with wifey, and a uh, her necklace like falls out of her shirt, and he grabs for it, and it's the probe. It's uh, it's the probe that knocked him out. It's like a weird talisman from the reality that he remembers. Yeah, and this is the moment where he knows he's not crazy in this moment, right? Yeah, it's it's a it's. I mean, like you sort of wonder. I mean, I I don't know. Should we spoil? I think I think everybody like everybody watching us has already watched this or doesn't care to, right? <laughs> or doesn't care to listen to us. <laughs> Is turning off the show. Yeah. <laughs> the deal is that this is an alien species that is injecting a memory of themselves into some future traveler. So, I mean, I sort of wonder, like, what the motive behind putting their the design of their probe on the necklace of the wife. Is that there to, like, just be like a signpost that says, hey, you're not crazy, just roll with this? <laughs> If it is, well, it's like a pretty abstract way of getting that message across. Well, if the mission for the Katana 
is to send knowledge of their culture out into the universe, and this is their instrument for that, then I don't think you want the person going through that experience to reject it immediately and freak out. So it seems to me as though the program is sort of sprinkling little crumbs throughout the experience to ground that experience in a way Mm -hmm. so that whoever is going through it doesn't completely lose it. See, I thought that the uh, mission for a katana was to be longer than a wakizashi. Uh, How long is a wakizashi? I mean, it's like a, it's a little bit like a katana, but a, a slightly shorter. Do you, do you measure from uh, the base or, or do you go, <laughs> where do you start measuring from, Ben? Uh, I, believe, I believe that you measure from the parvenium out to the tip. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, was in, uh, I was in Hawaii a couple of weeks ago and we were on the big island. Well, la dida. We did one of those tours, like a, like a tour boat thing, mm-hmm. where you're like out in the water, and the guy's telling you about the volcanoes and stuff, and and the guy's like, yeah, you know, uh, Mount Aloha is actually the tallest mountain in the world if you measure it from below <laughs> sea level. Right. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's like that's like cheating. That's like measuring from your asshole. And it was like crickets. <laughs> <laughs> no one likes my sense of humor, Ben. The uh, the uh, <laughs> the school group that you went on yeah. that on that tour with didn't appreciate it. Yeah, the uh, the teacher who was with them just like gathered them and and pulled them to the other side of the boat. How many children can I cover the ears of at once? <laughs> yeah, turns out not that many. <laughs> Um, I hiked to the top of that mountain one time, Adam, and, uh, really? boy, did it feel like the tallest mountain. Yeah. Yeah. Shit is uh, no people joke. were, in, people were encouraging us to go to its summit and hang out and then like do jumping jacks at the top to experience altitude sickness. <laughs> I was like, that doesn't sound like fun. I think I'd rather be on the beach drinking boat drinks. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's. Altitude sickness is no joke, and that is the only place I've ever really experienced it. Wow. How'd it feel? It's rough, because you go from sea level, and it's like a two-day hike to get to the top. So you start at sea level, and I think you drive up to like 7,000 feet of elevation, which is where the trailhead is. Mm -hmm. And then the the top is like 14,000 feet of elevation or something. Wow. So... You're real high up. It's like a subtropical climate up there. Or, I mean, it's a subarctic climate up there, and uh, you don't feel good. Did you vom? I didn't. I think maybe my buddy may have. New guy's in the corner puking his guts out. (laughs) Neither of us felt great, though. Uh, Mm. It's also like it feels insane to have to pack your cold weather crap to go to Hawaii because you're going on this hike. That's no fun. Yeah, silly. Well, this has been Hawaii Talk. (laughs) Uh, You can uh, like and review us on iTunes in the travel and culture section, I guess. This has been two howlies and a microphone. (laughs) Back on board the Enterprise, the doctor's working on Picard, and we uh, we get an amount of bridge carpeting that is probably worthy of a baseball card, right? <laughs> we really get up close and personal to the bridge carpet throughout this episode. Yeah. Um, this is uh, this is an episode with an uncharacteristic amount of carpet close-ups. And, uh, <laughs> and also, I think Riker gets to squint into every single commercial break in this episode. Yeah. yeah. Why don't they move him to Six Bay? I don't know. They don't even put a pillow under his head. Well, that carpeting is really nice, Adam. I guess. It looks like it's really Scotchgardy and rough. It doesn't look comfy at all. Well, yeah, it's a it's it's a tight weave. It's not a uh it's not a deep carpet, but it's um It's a corporate weave. Yeah. That you can spill a coffee on. Yeah, but you can see that it it's it's really held up well over the years. It's not pilling, you know. It it doesn't seem like worn thin. 
I mean, they've been rolling dollies across that carpet. They've been walking across it for years. Mm-hmm. Worf's loaf has probably touched it several times. Pretty good shape. Yeah. So every time we cut back to uh, Picard, a.k.a. Cayman, uh, it seems to be about five years have passed, and they've added a an extra inch to the weave in his in his hair, and like uh, it becomes clear in this next visit uh, in this world that he's starting to realize that he can't just cling to his memory of the Enterprise. He's been insisting that that's his real life for five years, and you know, like he he doesn't have any any way of proving that that's what his life really is. And he, uh, I think this is like the, the one where he sort of relents and says, all right, I'm going to live, I'm going to live in the here and now and be Cayman or whatever. Which only serves to underscore how great Eileen is as a wife. Like, could you imagine your wife saying that she actually lived another life and you just like, dealt with that for five years <laughs> like her her utter detachment like and then and then she finally comes around in the fifth year and is like all right i'm ready to commit fully to the life that you have been experiencing with me <laughs> the entire time her patience is incredible yeah I'm, and i think it's what makes you like her yeah she's like so unbelievably unselfish that it's yeah kind of it's impossible not to to really connect with her um, I, as, speaking of like the connections to the many characters on this planet, I feel like they do a really good job in very little time uh, building rapport and and befriending them like in such a way. I, I liked everyone on the planet except for the the government official, but it brought up the question, Ben, like, are the Katanas actually human? And do they actually look human, or is that part of the programming of the probe in order to inspire or engender an emotional attachment or or some sort of like common understanding? Well, I really wondered that i mean like if it if it had zapped a lady, would she be in the wife role? would she be in the right. same family like what if it encountered a non gendered species like the uh the one yeah from Soren's planet, yeah. What if what if uh, what if a Soren got zapped? Like what happens? Or or then? knee toilet guy, like <laughs> right, or or, yeah. or a Klingon, like <laughs> a, any number of outcomes. Yeah. What like, if d- what if one of the, the asshole change? species encounters this thing? <laughs> yeah. Does does the programming suit the programmed? Yeah. It got pretty lucky that uh, it got Picard, who's already used to being in you know sunny south of France, and uh, right. And it's like, well, you know, like Santa Fe is not that different of an uh, <laughs> of a hang, <Yeah>. you know. <laughs> it is a guiding principle of a dark leading base. Have you can't find it within yourself to stand up, tell the truth. You don't deserve to wear that uniform. There's that moment when the politician rolls into town, and he's like, he's like a conquering hero, and he's sort of, yeah. he's sort of. He's sort of pretending that he's he's going to accept everything from the suggestion box. How to fake, like you are a nice and caring person. Yeah, he's like, hey, what the fuck is that tree? And Picard <laughs> is like, uh, hey, you know, if we just, if we mock up some atmospheric scrubbers, we can start putting some water back into the ground. Be a really great idea. And the, and the politician's like, we'll have no scrubbers in these parts. We need to, we need to save coal jobs. That's what we're going to do. So I'm going <laughs> to tell you to fuck off with these <laughs> these atmospheric water condensers like Picard wants to be Uncle Owen so bad he wants to have a, a moisture farm that's the reason everyone dies right it has to be that fucking guy yeah it, may, it also makes me wonder like if we knew that in like I don't know 50 years we were definitely not going to have a usable sun would that be enough of a fire under our ass to figure out a way to leave and go somewhere else or to like develop something that would make that not such a big issue. I think our differences are so great right now that a 50 year time span would be too little. And I think we'd be fucked. (laughs) That is my honest answer. Oh, Adam. (laughs) 
So pessimistic. I know. It's been a bad year, Ben. Mm. Yeah, well, it's not great for for Cayman either, because the, uh, the politician's like, I'll take that great idea under advisement, and goodbye. And, uh, <laughs> and I'll invite you to fuck off. <laughs> and so... Uh, and so, Bataille, like, this is another instance where Picard has sort of turned the corner on his memory. Bataille's like, wow, dude, that was like old Cayman, ready to involve himself in the community. It's good to hear that again. That was some pre-fever Cayman shit you just pulled yeah. right there. <laughs> yeah, I like this guy. Good stuff, bud. So they go back to, uh, they go back to Cayman's house. They're going to have, have some drinks and some flute. They're having a hang. And Aline comes out, and she's like, Hey, uh, Bataille, why don't you fuck off? And <laughs> Picard's like, Yeah, fuck off, Bataille. I got a baby to make. Aline does this so great. Bataille. Yes, ma'am. Go home. I can't imagine inviting one of my wife's friends to leave in that way and not having it cause a huge fucking problem. <laughs> Or or vice versa. Like I can't imagine my wife telling you to leave like that, and ha- and having you not be like, "What the fuck? Are you serious?" But I, she's so gentle about it. It's I, I it's default great. to assuming that I'm not welcome yeah. in most places. So I think if you're if I was at your house and your wife came in and said, "Just leaving, where you been?" I'd be like, <laughs> uh, "Yeah, yeah." I'm, uh, you mind if I use the bathroom before I go? Or yeah, I mean, I don't have were, to. I don't have to. <laughs> If you were Bataille, you wouldn't have been there that long to begin with. Yeah, exactly. The upshot of this scene is Cayman and, and Aline are going to start a family, which uh, seems like last possible moment to do that, right? In terms of how old they both are. Do you think they haven't done it up until now? I don't know. I mean, like, is he supposed to be as old as he looks? Do you think Picard does it differently than Cayman, like the pre-Picard Cayman? Oh. I don't know how you could trust any of his moves now. His whole repertoire could be lifted. You think Aline is like, whoa, where did this come from? <laughs> you want to put that where? <laughs> Pretty edgy stuff. <laughs> I was just going to lay a husk on the floor and let you walk <laughs> over it. <laughs> yeah, that part's unclear. But they are going to make a baby this time. And so they do. Yeah. Throughout the episode, you're sort of skipping ahead by a number of years. The first time yeah. it's five years. The next time it's probably ten years. Next time it's... I don't know. The The kid is maybe five years. Yeah. Five Are years we talking than... five-year increments then? I kind of... Well, so at the end, it's like you've been out 20 to 25 minutes. And I was like, oh, so like every... Five minutes or so that he was out seemed like maybe about five years had passed. So I don't know. The passage of time is shown through Picard's growing hair, uh, the depth of his wrinkles. And as Picard ages, I began thinking that this is one of those episodes that is actually where the remaster doesn't work. Yeah. Um, his his aging makeup is really, it does not hold up to HD. <laughs> no. Really doesn't. I mean, and you know, this is an observation that's been made a million times. But like, Patrick Stewart looks just as good now as he did when he was shooting TNG, and they like definitely were excessive with how much makeup they put on him. You know? Yeah, they, I mean, he's taking they... care of himself, and maybe maybe he wasn't in the uh, Catan world. He he hasn't gone full burlap sack, but he's close. Yeah, maybe Cayman is like a is a much more hard drinking, hard living guy than the scenes that we get with him. You know, right, right. Uh, back on the bridge, like they're pretty concerned because they can t- detect a lot of brain activity in Picard, but he's totally passed out and unresponsive. So the idea comes up to try to interfere with the beam that is coming out of this probe and hitting him. And yeah, it's, it's like uh, it's like his mind is inside finger cuffs. Like, they can't separate Picard from the machine, much like they couldn't when he was a Borgs. Yeah. And so, like, this is a pretty heated argument. Like, like Worf is, like, all for, like, you know, just nuking the probe and getting the F out of there. The captain is under attack. 
We must act. And the doctor is is like, this is a terrible idea. Like, you don't you don't pull a knife out of somebody just because they've been stabbed. Like that might make them bleed out. Riker Riker decides it's worth worth trying turning off the mind ray and uh and Picard goes into uh pretty extreme distress. His respiratory system's in spasm. Pulse is irregular and weakening. Yeah, he's flopping around on the ground. Everyone starts panicking. They got to reestablish the beam. And that's what Data does pretty quick. Yeah, but not before like he he falls over in the in the dream world too. Like he's Yeah, there's consequences at, there. They're having like a bris for his his son and he's like playing playing the flute. There's like a cheese plate from Safeway and uh Cayman like finishes his flute song and he's like hanging out with wifey and he just like he like hits the floor. And uh that's the influence of this of the like beam being severed, I guess. Data puts the beam back together and he's back to normal. He's back to normal, but in but he's also much older. <laughs> yeah. He's uh he has got he's got full full Bernie puff on the sides of his heads. And he's the sort of age that can wear a giant straw hat out in public unironically yeah. and like basically not be regarded as a weirdo. <laughs> yeah, and uh, like his his wife has gone to a Catherine Pulaski type haircut. <laughs> I just feel like this was a time when it was expected of old women to have that haircut at a certain yeah. point, you know? Yeah. So they've got like a full-grown daughter and son. The daughter is like the fourth Tanner girl. She's like straight out of full house. Um, mm-hmm. And she's like, she's a capable scientist. Their son is a little bit more of a stoner layabout, just wants to focus <laughs> on playing his flute and not, not finishing up school. Yeah, so Picard's son is upstairs, like, playing Jethro Tull at top volume, like all teenagers. <laughs> Hit, hitting the ceiling with the broom handle. That one's for you, Bill Tilly. <laughs> uh, I, I broke the fourth pod wall there, Ben. Yeah. A little weird. Let's not do that anymore. Picard leaves leaves the house because he just can't stand the music anymore. And uh, he's hanging out in, uh, in the town square, and the G-Man is there. And uh, and he's like, dude, the planet is falling apart. I don't know if we're going to be able to save it at this point. And he's like, yeah, man, like our scientists came to the same conclusion two years ago. We didn't want to make a panic, so we're just going to let everybody die. Yeah, I mean, do you agree with that thinking? No, I I really like like I know you're a pessimist, but I think that like given all the information people can adapt to and like come up with things. And I just, Oh, I'm not saying I don't agree with revealing the truth and giving the information. My point earlier was was about not being hopeful that we'd as a society be able to do anything productive with that yeah. once we had the information. I'm just I'm 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 more hopeful than that. I I think that I think that somebody somebody could and you know, you foreclose on there even being a possibility of that by concealing information like this. Absolutely. That's why yeah. I think the government should come clean about the greys. The greys have been literally fucking us up the ass for years. <laughs> literally. My, my, my love is a peep of longing till for that which longer So he's uh, he's just getting this like whopper of a news item laid on him when uh, when his kiddo comes running and he's like, hey, dad, mom is in bad shape. And, uh, and there ain't no Pulaski around to, to help her out. So they run back to the house, and uh, this is like the goodbye moment between uh, Kameen and Aline. can't remember how either of those names were pronounced in the episode. <laughs> I think it's Cayman and Aline. Cayman and Aline, yeah. So, uh, yeah, she shuffles loose this mortal coil. And... Uh, Picard as Cayman, like loses it. Yeah, this is an awful moment. Yeah, and and an earned moment. You know, like they've yeah. they've really humanized this character, and and her passing feels 
weighty, you know? And, yeah. And uh, th- this is a tough acting moment. And, and I think Patrick Stewart is, you know, really, uh, really proves himself time and time again in this episode. Right. It's like all of, all of the most important moments of life. Act them. Go. <laughs> the degree of difficulty seems really tough because every time we time jump, he's he's almost a new man. Yeah. I mean, his experiences are so different. He's moved so far forward in time. Like, he's just sort of, sort of has to reset as an actor. Yeah. I think the next jump, uh, his daughter is now the soccer mom. And uh, she, she is even wearing a big straw hat at this point. And everybody is like, yo, daddy-o, let's go watch this big rocket launch. And uh, he's like, well, I'm not going anywhere to watch anything. I want to hang out here with my grandson. We don't have much time left. I'm going to enjoy myself. And they're like, dad, I really think you should come see the rocket. Cayman at this point as a character seems to be a little bit doddering yeah. and infirm. And he doesn't, it doesn't seem like he has a full grasp mentally of what's happening because they, because he doesn't want to go out and see the, the launch. He doesn't really remember the shuttle launch is happening until he's out there. He really seems like he's, he's at the end of his life. Yeah. And I mean, like, it's sort of implied that this was kind of his idea, right? Yeah. Like, let's put some, some genetic samples in a, in a probe and shoot him out into space just so that some record of our planet is preserved. What a noble mission. I mean, I, I imagine someone thought up the idea of actually sending Katanas up in the rocket, you know, in some form of stasis. But instead, they just decide to inscribe the gold records with, you know, the story of their culture and launch the shuttle out there without anyone on it. Yeah, it's kind of a, a poetic way of memorializing oneself i guess yeah yeah it really is so they watch the launch and uh as they're watching they get uh, like it's kind of explained to him what's going on because suddenly people that have died are coming out of the woodwork you got your uh bataille coming back to life aline comes back to life and they're like thanks for uh living a life with us if you remember what we were and how we lived and we'll have found life again. It's sort of like that moment at in a in a Disneyland ride where you come to the end and the spell of, you know, it's a small world is broken and and the ushers are like, as the ride comes to a complete stop, please exit the vehicle to your left. Like, it changes the tone of things completely. It, it breaks the spell of the programming. Make sure and, your hands are free of the restraint as they pop up. Right. <laughs> And Picard as Cayman sort of snaps to it, too. Yeah. Like, it's a weird scene because it's this crazy tension between, like, a pretty great performance on Patrick Stewart's part and maybe the worst loaf we've ever seen. Yeah, that makes it tough. Such distracting loaf. I mean, it's like they made his lips, like, unbelievably wide. It makes it look like his, his mouth was, like, five and a half inches wide. Yeah, he kind of has Joker mouth. Yeah. And it looks like there's some seams around his hairline, too, that that don't look great. Yeah. Ogawa's got, got her eyes on those seams. She's like, he's he's got a head zip. I still got a front <laughs> zip. What gives? <laughs> yeah, the, this is a great Ogawa episode, that's for sure. Yeah, Ogawa's in the mix, chopping it up. To O'Brien's detriment, though. <laughs> Haven't seen O'Brien in a while. Yeah. Been a little bit out of the loop. So Cayman is confronted with the awareness that he is, in fact, Picard. Yeah. And he's been living this life as presented by the probe. And he realizes that the probe eventually finds him. And that just sort of closes the loop yeah. on his thinking. And his family get in like a ghost Jedi pose, little yeah. little tableau for him to remember them by. Uh-huh. And, uh, he sort of gestures to them with an imaginary camera in his hand. <laughs> yeah. Click. They, they, they almost end this moment by saying cheese. <laughs> Back on the bridge, Picard wakes up and they, they sort of bring him to his feet. Beverly's like, we got to get you the hell to sickbay. You've been on the ground for like 40 minutes. 
card seems amenable to this. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Yeah, you can you can check me out there. Six Bay seems like a good idea. Yeah. What's your name again? Beverly? He's putting it together. He's back on the bridge. This life is real. He knows these people. Yeah. There's a relief to it. Like, he walks up to the turbo lift door and pauses for a moment. Like, he's really happy to be back. To the degree that he can show happiness or satisfaction in the moment. Right. There's there's a, a subtle relief about being back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, when you think about it, the bridge is like the set that we see in this episode that isn't his alternate reality life. And Mm -hmm. there might be five total minutes of bridge stuff in this whole episode. Yeah. Like they really spend a lot of time on the planet. And uh, yeah, like as far as a production schedule goes, like they probably banged out the bridge portion of the episode in like a day. Yeah. It's quick. I mean, like, I don't even like, I don't, I don't think counselor Troy is even in this episode. Yeah, I don't like, know. Like it's it's like, uh, yeah, like we'll get in like you know Data Wharf and Riker, we'll have Captain Picard lying on his back and Beverly and and Nurse Ogawa can run in. Yeah, we'll get we'll you know we'll shoot this out in half a day and then we'll we'll head to Taos and shoot the rest. I understand why Data does it, but it's got to be hard to do your duty on the bridge when the captain's just down. He's down on the ground, and you're at the con, for example, right. like, or you're at the engineering station in the back, like it's it's freaky. Yeah. Have you ever had a medical emergency happen to someone else while you were at work? Um, I don't think so, but I mean, it happens on film sets, especially. Like, it's not. I, I've been very lucky to have that not happen. How about yourself? A person in the cubicle next to mine in my previous job had a uh, a seizure. Wow! And and like fell out of her chair onto the ground, and it was a shocking moment uh, because there's that there's the ten to fifteen seconds after it happens where that time just stops, and then people just immediately jump into action and triage the situation. Right. And that's like. That's an amazing thing to behold. Like people just jump in and help. Like that that just seems to be like a baseline human instinct. Right. That, that is awesome. But then you're like like there's there's always that uh okay, well I've done everything I can do to help, so now I guess what? Yeah, and that's what I mean by like it's got to be weird to work in that environment because like all around us, people were still working. Right. Because, like... Or, like, if, checking in, Facebook. Unless, <laughs> unless you can help, what what do you do? It, it, it would be weird to just stand and watch. So, yeah, that was... I was... I couldn't help but think about that while <laughs> I was watching this scene. Yeah, strange. I am the cutest of all. There are four lights. I think the, the button on the episode is in Picard's quarters, and he's like... He's like hanging out, just kind of like putting his hands on all the different objects, reacquainting himself with the space. And Riker comes down and he's like, hey, we uh, we pulled that probe apart and there's a little present inside for you. Gives it to Picard and takes off. And uh, Picard opens this like chagrin case and it's the flute that he has been playing the entire episode. And uh, we get, like, I think our closing moment is him, like, standing in the window, looking at space, playing the song that he learned on this planet. It's a real nice moment. Yeah. Did you like this episode, Ben? I did. I mean, it is often tossed out as, like, the, you know, jewel in the crown of... TNG. I mean, it's like one of the ones that they did the HD remaster to first to show off. Like, yeah, we're doing this. Boy, that seems like a bad decision. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it's on my mountain, but I really it's, like it's it. It's not on mine either. And I I was watching this with the expectation that it would be. I mean, there's a lot well, to like about it, but it's... Um, and And one thing I really like about it is that it's a weird episode, you know? Yeah. I love yeah. I love when they get weird. I do too. Why don't you think it's good enough to make our mountains when it is on everyone else's? 
I don't know. We're just smarter and more incisive, I guess. <laughs> I think, unfortunately, to me, the makeup takes me out of it. Yeah. The the aging makeup I, was so distracting that I couldn't fully enjoy the story in a way that that I know I had the first time when I watched the episode. Yeah. It's great, but it's different to call it your favorite, and that is why it is not mine. I'm, I can I can dig that, Adam. Hey Ben, has a probe zapped us with any P one messages? I believe a probe has in fact zapped us. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income. Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Hey Ben, our first priority one message is of a personal nature. It is from Reed. It is for Philip, and it goes like this. A good friend plays NBA Jam with you when you're down. A better friend accepts a seven-game loser-buys P1 message challenge. (laughs) But a great friend chokes in Game 7 and honors the deal. Dang. Thanks for funding my chance to finally hear Adam and Ben pronounce Ankylosaur correctly. (laughs) That's what you think, (laughs) Reed. Can't wait to hear it as Uxbridge. See you at the Sean Kemp Memorial Barstool. Ankly Assure. The word is pronounced Ankylosaur. Ankylosaur. I don't build many of my real dolls with Ankylosaur tails. It's just very cruel for you to send me a word like this when it's well known that I have several speech impediments. <laughs> It's it's cruel and unusual. It's not what a good friend does. I would play NBA Jam with you and turn around and mock my manner of speech. Everyone knows my favorite team in NBA Jam is the Phoenix Suns. <laughs> the Seattle Supersonics. <laughs> That's where I was going to go. God damn it. <laughs> Who's up next, Ben? Uh, We've got a message from Ash, and it is to Ridge, Nathan, and Abby. And it goes like this. Actually, hold on. Before I read this very short message, I think it is time we made our big announcement. That's right, viewers. We have decided officially to continue the show to do Deep Space Nine and Voyager. I know this is weird to do in the middle of a P1, but I wanted to get it, get that out there. Anyway, the message reads, Hi, Ridge, Nathan, Abby, and friends. Well, <laughs> that is, uh, we've been hacked, Adam. Oh, God. <laughs> I was so confused. <laughs> uh, let, me, uh, let me open that message. I want to see how that was constructed. Yeah, there's a, uh, there's a dot, 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 and then... And then, you know, I, I'm, uh, I'm an automaton. I just read the words in front of me, you know? Oh, wow. Yeah. The message body was that verbatim. I mean, Adam, what do you think? I mean, it's been said on the show. Is that, does that make it canon? The thing is, if we agree to this, <laughs> think of what we'll be encouraging. We'll be encouraging P1 messages that make us do all kinds of things. So you're taking a we can't negotiate with terrorists standpoint on this? I am. And it's not because I disagree with the message. It's because I disagree completely with how the message was given. Oh, so you're saying you may have just cut those terrorists a $2 million check whether or not they kidnapped me. Right. But because they kidnapped me, no check! Yeah. Uh, listen, uh, who are those people? Listen, Ash and Ridge and Nathan and Abby. Uh, when there is an announcement to make, we will make that announcement. And not before. I'm not negotiating with you, Ash. <laughs> I mean, you sound, you sound great in everything. I, but- I think it is safe to say, Adam, that... The shows we do in the post-TNG world will be quite pleasing to our viewers, but we don't want to lock ourselves into anything until we're actually doing them. Yeah. That's, that's all. 
think I think that's understandable for most people. Yeah. You don't want to talk about the same contract while you're under contract. <laughs> that's bad negotiation. Yeah. Well, thanks to everybody who sent a Priority One message this week. If you'd like to send a message of the first priority, go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. It's 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 bucks for a commercial message. And it's a great way to support the show, keep the lights on around here, and keep us doing this even when TNG is over, whatever we decide to do after that point. <laughs> And whenever we decide to announce that. Yeah. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! I did. It's a bit of an abstract Shimoda. Um, and we talked about how this uh, this memorial probe is pretty, you know, poetic, elegiac way of uh, memorializing your species. But I think it's a terrible plan because it <laughs> turns itself off. It like it's like a message that self-destructs. Like why <laughs> It's a one-time use probe. It should be a pez dispenser full of f- flutes and just fly around the galaxy <laughs> zapping people. Remember these guys, here's your flute. I'm off to the next ship. Like especially because when Picard like, dies, the memory of these people dies. Yeah. That, yeah. That's the thing that is bad about it. Sort of the perfect plan is if Picard had run into this probe and then been assimilated by the Borg, <laughs> then you know for sure that these people's culture lives forever. Yeah. It's sort of shitty that it didn't happen that way. Because, yeah, the expiration on on the people, like, the people die with Picard. Yeah. And that's a heavy fucking responsibility, I think. Totally. How about yourself? Did you have a drunk Shimoda? This episode Shimoda is the most like the OG Shimoda. <laughs> like Jim Shimoda, a man who didn't know what he was doing while jeopardizing everyone's life, uh, is best embodied by the guy from the central government yeah. who had a chance to stop their world from dying and uh, just sort of, sort of doesn't take it for action. Like so many isolinear chips, he plays with their hopes. <laughs> their hopes for a better world, their hopes for an atmospheric condenser, and uh, and throws it all away. So, central government guy is my drunk Shimoda. Ugh, the government! Ugh. <laughs> yeah. Damok, Angelad, and Tanaga. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name and not a giant social media company's name with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. 
And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order, plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVS. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVS for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVS. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. What do we have coming up on the next episode? The next episode of the show is season five, episode 26, Time Zero, part one. After Data learns of his own death in the late 19th century San Francisco, a freak accident transports him back to that period. Do you remember this episode, Adam? This is the episode with bad head. (laughs) Pretty much like it's 40 minutes of bad head, isn't it? (laughs) I do remember this episode, Ben. I don't remember liking it. No, uh, I don't remember liking it either. Unfortunately, we are without vetoes for this one so i think we're gonna have to watch it but fine but if we if we really hate it and we don't watch the next one vetoes will be available that's right we've almost turned the corner into season six yeah this is the last episode of season five this is the big the big cliffhanger that gets you gets you wanting to come back for more next year well that's exciting (laughs) almost as exciting as talking to us on the Twitter, Ben. Yeah. Using the hashtag GreatestGen. People chat us up all the time on there. Uh, we're also on our many Reddit pages. We got a Facebook group and a page. So many ways to talk about the show, Ben. Yeah. Uh, thanks to everybody that contributed during the Max Fun Drive. If you would like to uh, contribute despite the fact that the drive is over, go to MaximumFun.org and click on Donate. Uh, really helps keep the show going and uh, we should thank Dark Materia for our theme music Adam Ragusia for all the other music here on the program and with that we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek The Next Generation and an episode of The Greatest Generation that's just a really dumb time paradox that doesn't make a fucking lick of sense do you like snakes? <laughs> We got an episode just full of snakes and head holes. Snakes and head holes. That's what sci fi is about. We can we can finish this card bit in a sec, but I found a card in here that has jogged loose a vague memory from my past, and that is a card for Captain's Yacht. Are you familiar mm. with this cap uh, with this Captain's Yacht situation, Adam? Yeah, yeah, it's the little bottle cap that they stow uh, on the uh, below the saucer section. So when I first rewatched 
TNG when it came out on Netflix several years ago, I was convinced that I had a memory from my childhood of an episode in which the captain's yacht was used. Like they showed mm-hmm. it undocking and doing something. And uh, it's not in there, but the the fact that this card exists may, makes me wonder if I had this card as a child and just imagined that. You you imagined a lot of things as a child, Ben. <laughs> I think that's probably the most benign of of all of your youthful imaginations. What are you saying, Adam? Not saying anything at all. Just saying you had a very active imagination. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.